Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What's up, yo, Tennessee <laughs> Hobart? We probably wonder why I ain't opening up a beer, because I'm already three deep. We did our interview, so I probably need to slow down a little bit. But I'm doing good, man. How you doing? <laughs> oh, doing great. Just got off the line with our buddy Brett Sianka, Pick 6 Previews. Head on over to PickSixPreviews.com. There's a link in the show notes. You got to be getting the College Football Preview Magazine from Brett. Outstanding stuff. We're going to cover every SEC team, but... Uh, before we get to that, Shane, just two things I wanted to talk with you about here just briefly. But, man, really, really unfortunate news. Uh, Alex Collins, yeah, legendary Arkansas running back, and, you know, he was instrumental in one of my favorite plays of all time, the fourth and 25, Henry Heave. Alex Collins has passed away, Shane, in a motorcycle accident. It's it's been a rough one, man, for, for Razorback Nation. You know, Ryan Mallett just recently passed. Peyton yeah. Hillis, uh, you know, he thank God he's nearly died, but saving his children. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine what that fan base is going through right now. Yeah, no, you hate to hear it, especially such a young – I mean, this is – it's like your kid, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I can't imagine what, what these parents are going through and, and Razorback community. Uh, I hear he's a great uh, – you, you can always tell – Man, when somebody is is not just an athlete but loved by their university, when you start hearing these remarks that are coming out, and uh, he will be missed. Truly, truly sad news. Right, and just two things I saw that were great, Shane. I mean, he so he's a Florida native. Yeah. And when he went to Arkansas, Florida, Florida State, Miami, they were all good. He chose Arkansas. And to this day, if you go to his Twitter account – his pinned tweet is an article of, uh, I, I believe it was when he, uh, it was either when he committed or when he declared for the draft and just said thank you to Arkansas fans to this. And that, I mean, that's 10 years ago, remains his pinned tweet, just to give you an idea of just how much love he had for the Arkansas Razorbacks. So yeah. truly a, a sad day for, for that whole community and the entire football community. Absolutely, man. I mean, football's. I mean, we love football, and uh, sometimes you know you you get wrapped up into you know you know you only got so many laps around the sun. So, yep. All right, Shane. We'll get to our interview with Brett in just a second, but I had to ask you because I I know I tuned in, Shane. The best <laughs> Texas A and M content out there, Tex Ags. I've been on the show a couple times. We love Billy Lucci, David Nunez. I mean, they got some of the best people. Ollie Buchanan, on and on and on. But the Tennessee Homer made his <laughs> Tex Eggs debut here on Tuesday. Go check it out. I want to. I just want to get the behind the scenes, Shane, of of what it was like doing your first big interview like that. How nervous were you, and uh, how'd it go? Well, for ten minutes we talked about that uh, they don't hate you, Mike. You know, apparently <laughs> <laughs> last year was a one-off, but uh, no, it was it was great, man. They they really got their shit together down there, and uh, not saying that we don't, but uh, <laughs> just saying it was uh, it was cool getting on there talking some college football. We did uh, we covered all the teams uh, pretty much, not just Texas Ag, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was it was great catching up with the boys. 
Yeah, well, I loved it. Well, buddy, I was nervous. I go, why, Mike? You know that because I don't do interviews, and uh, I, I this is I think maybe the first one, Mike. It may be like the first one I've done other than like media day stuff, right? You know, getting onto a show. So me and Mike, we got on. We test this Zoom thing. I didn't want to look like a like an idiot when I got got on there, but it worked great. I still probably look like an idiot, but I had a blast with them anyway. Yeah, it was a great interview for anybody uh, that missed it. Go check it out over at the Texags feed. But uh, I just I wanted to share that. But hey, buddy, uh, let's kick it over to our outstanding interview with Brett Sianka. Pick six previews. We're once again pleased to be joined by Brett Sianka. Pick six previews, the go-to college football preview magazine. It gets better every year, and. Now that you can even get it in a hard copy edition, because I don't know about you, Brett, and obviously it's the case, but uh, just having something physical in your hands. Yeah, I know college football season is finally here when I got my pick six previews, and thanks to you, I got it in hand once again. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, well, thanks, Mike and Shane, for having me. It's uh, one of my favorite stops in my preseason podcast and radio tour. It's uh yeah, it's been great to grow along with you guys. I remember when that, that, that SEC podcast was just starting out. Now I see you guys at Media Day. I see you on TV. It's really taken off. But uh, you guys are my go-to source for the SEC, so keep up the good work. And, yeah, I appreciate the praise. I agree with you on the hard copy. It's, uh, it's an old-fashioned product. It's been around, you know, the college football preseason magazine uh, in general. They've been around for decades, all the way back to, what, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. It's just a staple. So, while most organizations are going away from hard copy, I dove into it. I, I went away from digital, and now it's hard copy also. So, um, yeah, something special to it. Bring it to the lake. Bring it to the beach. You know, have it on the coffee table on Saturdays in the fall to scout out your next opponent. So I agree with you there. A little old-fashioned, but uh, there's definitely a place for it. Well, we're old, so it really comes in handy when you can hold it. You know, it's like I get the digital thing that you know that that went wild there for a minute. I even went to a restaurant the other day, and you had to scan a QR code to to make it. I was like, "Golly, can't you just hand me a menu?" So I do appreciate the actual book, and uh, especially for us old farts out there. Before we dive into it, uh, Brett, can you tell us kind of some of the aspects of the magazine that is new this year? Because uh, I noticed a few changes and improvements. I mean, you pack so much information into this book, and I know that you speak with head coaches. You spend so much time making your college football preview, the pick six previews. Can you go into what's new and just, you know, for anybody that, that is not familiar with your work, just how much time goes into making your fine college football preview magazine. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, you know, Pick 6 Previews I launched in 2012. Uh, it's really a one-man show. It's just me. I think that's a differentiator with some of the other magazines. I have a lot of respect for them. They have hundreds of writers. They have staff. They have everything. It's a one-man show here. So I'm, I'm digging into all 69 Power 5 teams in the book. Um, I have my advanced stats, my game grader. So I have the numbers aspect of it. But putting it back into readable terms, you know, you don't want to just read about acronyms or decimal points and all this. So put it back into readable terms. I'm talking to head coaches, talking to coordinators, learning about the schemes they're trying to run, their recruiting strategies, everything you could think of. So uh, that's the gist of the book. Um, but, yeah, for new features this year, I added a bunch. Well, the way this game's changing with all the transfers, I thought it was necessary to put in an all-transfer team uh, for each conference and nationally because, um, you know, the, the all-SEC team, you're familiar with that, but – 
uh, to really get a snapshot of who's coming, who's leaving into these conferences. So the all transfer team was new. Um, I added in, so I went a little bit deeper. So I used to have my um, opponent adjusted offense numbers and opponent adjusted defense numbers. Um, and I, I went, I dug a little bit deeper. I added the rushing and the passing on top of all that. So in addition to the usual, you know, 30 to 40 different metrics I look at, I added that into the page too. Um, and that might sound boring, might sound like a word salad, but trust me, it's, it's visually appealing. You know, you got your green, your red, your yellow to see if it was good or bad. Um, and I put it back into readable terms. So that's, uh, and then at the very back of the book, I did add a little bit on the non-AQ teams. Uh, as I said, it's a one-man show. So for the level of detail that I want to go into, I had to cap it at the Power Five. I have a lot of respect for these non-AQ teams, but uh, not enough manpower to dig into them as deep as I'd like. With that said, I added some stack graphics. So the same stats you get on the Power Five teams, uh, you can now get a quick glance at Boise State or Air Force and all those. So um, those are the new features. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot to break down. It's, it's, it's been a crazy offseason, obviously. Yeah, I like the colors. I felt like that was a little personal, but uh, I, I do want to let you know that I appreciate it. It was an easier read when you got something to look at, you know. <laughs> All right, Brett, so let's get into your official preseason projections for the SEC. And uh, let's go with the West first because I everybody kind of respects that as the, as the tougher side. Although the East, they, they won the West battle, so we got to give them their props. And, of course, that's where uh, home of the two-time defending national champions. So we'll, we'll get to the East. But out of the West, you're on that same thing that chains on there. Alabama, number one. What is it about the Crimson Tide that, uh, that, that you like to win the West? And I don't know if you've seen it, but I got them number three because I call it the decaying dynasty. Whoa, wow. That's a bold claim. But there might be some truth to the, the decay. I mean, look at Georgia somewhat surpassing them as the, the dynasty in college football right now, back-to-back champs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I still have Alabama winning the West. Uh, a couple reasons. I mean, right away, their recruiting is, is uh, number one over the last five years, three years, whatever span you want to look at, they're number one. And I know that doesn't always translate perfectly, but Alabama's done a great job with, with player identification and uh, player development and, and getting them to play their potential. So I love the roster. Um, you know, you, we could talk specific players. I like their offensive line. I like um, their defense, especially their linebackers. But really what stands out is just such a track record uh, over Nick Saban's tenure. Um, I put in these things uh, on the SEC page, the three-year, five-year, and 10-year stat trends. Alabama's number one in almost every single category over all those spans. So uh, it's just a numbers play there. I, I think they're going to bounce back, win the division. They were so close last year. They lost twice by a point. So uh, I think they're going to take them the West crown this year. Although I'll say they have more question marks than a usual Saban team, but uh, I still got them winning the West. You have LSU number two. How close is that uh, that gap between Alabama and LSU in 2023 after uh, the Tigers won the division last fall? Oh, I'd say it's razor thin. Uh, they're right there. Uh, in fact, when you look at my overall rankings, I have Alabama fifth. I've got LSU sixth. So five and six. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a dead heat for that title. I have them pretty close. Um, you know, with LSU, love their quarterback, uh, Jaden Daniels. He, he showed off his dual threat ability, really took care of the ball last year. Um, and then what else? Their offensive line was a bit young, but is now improving. I think it reverts to a strength this year. Such a deep running back room. I don't know who will emerge, but they get eight candidates there. Um, at receiver, they bring back some stars. 
And really the defense and through the transfer portal really re- was reshaped. Uh, they brought in Omar Spates, a four-year starter from Oregon State at middle backer. Uh, the defensive secondary is loaded with transfers. So there's a lot to like. I think that they, uh, they definitely remain in the top ten. And with a big opener against Florida State, they could surge even higher. So we'll see. Well, can I ask you about the power rankings there? Because you, you kind of mentioned it there. You've got Georgia, uh, LSU, and Alabama. Th- those are in the top 12. Texas, if you're including them in the SEC. But is that uh, does that alarm you at all, that there's not more SEC programs that you would consider a top 12? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, Georgia and Alabama, I still consider our dynasty tier. I mean, they're, they're top five annually. LSU's right there at six. Um, yeah, a little bit of a gap, but the thing is, most of these teams are ranked. I mean, I have A&M down at, what, 19th, um, Tennessee there at uh, 14th, and Ole Miss in the top 25. I actually have Mississippi State ranked. I don't think any other publication has that. So if you extend that out to the top 25, yeah. I think it's packed with SEC teams, not to mention two more coming in with Oklahoma and Texas. So, um, you know, it might look thin in the top 10, but they're definitely the highest rated and, and the most respect I have for a conference out there this year. So safe to say that uh, I realize you're not projecting LSU to make a run to the college football playoff, but right outside that uh, at number six. So would that stun you at all if they did make a run and advance to the college football playoff in year two under Brian Kelly? Well, it's interesting because, for the SEC West to make the uh, the playoff, they're going to have to beat Georgia and Atlanta. It's I don't think we've seen yet in college football where a team loses the conference title game and still makes it the next day into the bracket. Um, and as I'm saying that, I'm actually just remembering Max Duggan TCU last year. But before the, before last year, we hadn't seen it. Uh, it's very rare. You would have to come into that game undefeated, and um, I don't see LSU entering Atlanta undefeated. But um, yeah, so if they can knock out Georgia, it's going to have to go that route. I don't, I don't think the SEC gets two in this year just because their best teams are in separate divisions. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. I want to ask on that note, Mike, is there is there any team that you're looking at? Because you know these these depth charts better than anybody. And, and I'm looking at, at, at some of them saying, well, you know, if they play their cards right, you know, they got a shot to get to Atlanta. Is there any – is there any SEC teams you're looking at saying, hey, this would not surprise me if at the end of the year we're talking about them being potentially a college football playoff team? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll throw two in there. Um, Texas A&M. I know it's that time of year where they start to be a little bit overrated and people jump on it, but I think there's some truth to it. I'll, I'll break down A&M real quick. Um, so last year, yeah, it was, it was overhyped. It was the number one recruiting class. They were all 18-year-old true freshmen. It just didn't click. When you dig deeper, they were really close. They had five one-score losses, and that was with a terrible uh, injury run against their offensive line. I think three starters were knocked out. They were shuffling guys all year. That really crippled the, the offense. So fast forward a year, that whole class is now second years. They found their quarterback in Connor Wigman. Well, unlike last year, they were scrambling into October, November, trying to find their guy. They got him, and uh, their offensive line is now back and healthy. They return everybody. So I think that, uh, yeah, I'm not calling for a playoff run or anything, but this A&M team is going to really improve their win total from last year. And then a team from the East, and I know Cousin Shane's going to be excited for this one, but I've got Tennessee <laughs> number two in the East. And really, I mean, I know it's a huge if, but if they get past Georgia, that flips the whole dynamic. And, um, you know, I know they lose Hendon Hooker, a guy I believe should have been in New York City last year. He was on my ballot as a Heisman voter, should have been there. Um, but that rant aside, there's a lot to like from Tennessee. 
Um, great receiver core. I think that Milton's got a cannon for an arm. This offense has proven the, the whole scheme by Heifel. And the defense was under uh, underappreciated last year nationally. Uh, number five in my rushing defense when you adjust for opponent and adjust for pace. So really strong there. A lot of guys back. So I'll say Tennessee and A&M are that next tier out that a couple breaks their way, a couple stars come out of nowhere, they could uh, make it to Atlanta and beyond. You knew eventually I was going to get there, you know, Mike. I didn't know if it'd be later in the interview or not, but I knew there'd be a scenario where I could convince him that Tennessee has the potential to win a national championship. I need, yeah, I was looking for the question from the Tennessee homer himself. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah, we yeah, can talk thank Tennessee you. the whole thank rest you. of the show. Shane won't be mad, but we got to finish the West here. <laughs> Ole Miss, you already hit on Texas A&M. You got them three in the West. That That's certainly Shane and I are right there with you. Ole Miss, number four. Uh, the, these next four, I think you could almost put in any order. Personally, I, I'm curious to know what you think. What separates Ole Miss from uh, uh, the others in the in the West? At least, uh, I don't want to say the bottom because I don't think there is a bottom in, in, the, in the West. It's so difficult. But what makes you put uh, confidence in Ole Miss at number four? Yeah, with Ole Miss, a few areas uh, stand out. First, their offensive line. Uh, they returned four guys last, from last year's unit. They placed in the top 20 of both my pass protection and my offensive line run-push metrics, only one of five in the country, and that's with you know Georgia, Ohio State, some of the best offensive lines in the country. Four guys back. Uh, they bring Judkins back, who was close to breaking Herschel Walker's record for a freshman running back. They led the conference in rushing. They dropped like 400 yards a couple times against SEC opponents last year. Really impressive. So for all the, um, you know, I think a lot of fans just think of Lane Kiffin as an air raid guy. And just throwing the ball 60 times a game, that's misinformed. I mean, if the numbers in the box are there, he's going to take what's there and run the ball. And they were really strong at it last year. So I think they're going to have a great rushing attack last year. Uh, I mean, like last year, uh, a great quarterback problem to have when you have all these talented quarterbacks battling it out. I've never seen such a competition there. So you know they're going to be strong there, whoever emerges. And, um, and the defense is still a question. That's why I had them down at fourth in the West. But overall, still strong enough to finish 21st overall. Uh, right there, I do have Mississippi State close. And this is a team, we'll get to them next, that I think is very underrated nationally. Hey, can, let me ask on, on the Ole Miss, the, the SEC units there. You mentioned the quarterback room. Um, you've got them at ninth. And is that because you think that there is a quarterback competition there? Or is that because – maybe one hasn't emerged as as the candidate like if we heard Jackson Dart was the guy from day one do you think this is a a ranking you would have a little higher that's a great point um yeah a little bit of it is uncertainty like you'll see that I have Alabama down at 10 just because I don't know what's going to emerge there or if they have a surefire starter you know all SEC caliber guy um but when you look at the other teams in the conference I mean this conference is loaded at quarterback um, you know, KJ Jefferson, I have as my first teamer. I've got Jaden Daniels second, uh, even some key transfers coming in like Devin Leary, who put up 30 touchdowns at NC state years ago. Uh, Milton, we talked about, yeah. And Rattler, he's proven himself. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a loaded conference. Um, you know, some of the unit rankings, the, the margins yeah. are so thin that a team I have ninth could be right there fourth or fifth. It's, it's really tough to do. Uh, I, I'd encourage everybody to yeah. try and rank these units. It's tough, but <laughs> I, li- I, I like what he's done. The portal king, as they call him, uh, Lane Kiffin. 
Actually, I'd encourage you not to. Okay. Shane, for you, it's Tennessee. I've never seen so much hate mail in my Tennessee life. First, 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 first. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a loaded conference, guys. And and look, ninth in the SEC might still be top twenty nationally in a lot of these categories. Mm-hmm. Well, you you mentioned your respect yeah. for Mississippi State, Brett. Uh, Brett, I think though those Hale State fans have got to be loving you right now because. You're right. Virtually no one is giving them any kind of respect at all. Uh, what gives you confidence to put Mississippi State number five in the West, considering uh, first-year head coach and, and all the uh, changes this offseason in Starkville? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I think that when you look at the other magazines and publications there, everyone's picked for last in the division. I don't see it. I, I have them in the top 25 there. Um, I'll start on defense because that's really what's been strong and what will continue to be strong under Zach Garnett. Uh, I think that they found one of the best coordinators in the game defensively, and given the, the tragedy, unfortunately, what happened, uh, well, they, they took that opportunity to promote him as head coach. So they lock in one of the best defensive minds in the game. His three three five schemes an outlier that teams just aren't ready to, to prepare for. And, um, you know, he's proven it. It's been a top 15 ranking the past three years on defense. So strong defense there they got some key decisions from some veterans to return to, to instead of go to the pros early on that side of the ball and then offensively yeah it's going to be a scheme change anything outside of mike leach's air raid offense he was the last purist really the true air raid um everything from there will be more run mm-hmm. and balanced and um but i think they got a good one uh from app state and uh and coach barbe coming in really balanced attack you're going to see more explosive plays from mississippi state where in the past there might have been a lot of short passes and hope to break one, uh, break a tackle and go. These are going to be downfield shots. So I think that might excite some Bulldogs fans. Um, and it's a really veteran team. I mean, uh, Coach Leach aside, uh, this was kind of poised to be their breakthrough year, 2023, when you look at the roster breakdown. Um, so even with all that, I have them fifth, 24th overall. Now I'm just preparing you. Arkansas fans are going to be all up in your mentions tomorrow because you got Arkansas <laughs> number six. Now, is that – I'll let you speak, but is that because the West is so difficult or is it because you hate them Arkansas Razorbacks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love Arkansas. I, I went down there to Fayetteville, I think it was 2018 or 2017. Um, it was I picked a bad time to go. It was when Auburn blew them out. It was before Sam Pittman got there. It was a, a rough showing. But still, even with a blowout loss, I, I appreciated Dixon Street, saw some passionate fans. And I, I vowed that I'd return once this thing got fixed, and I think I'm due because Arkansas is, is, is a proven program. I've got them 29th overall in the country, so sixth in the West, still top 30 nationally. Um, and if it's any consolation prize, I've got uh, K.J. Jefferson, first-team All-SEC quarterback, and i got Rocket Sanders, first-team SEC running back. So the best backfield, the most proven at this point in the SEC. Hmm. Uh, some question marks arise at receiver. You know, a lot of transfers and guys gone there. Um, offensive line, a little bit of a question mark, even though that's one of Sam Pittman's strong points. Well, it is a strong point. Uh, but then a couple coordinator changes, too. So it's a little bit of an uncertainty. Lastly, the defense. we got to got to improve the defense a little bit here um, towards the bottom of the barrel and pretty much any defensive stat last year. And I, I don't see enough overnight fixes through the portal. They did well, um, but in this SEC West, uh, it just wasn't enough to keep pace. So, I got them at six. And all, so Auburn comes in at seven, and is that a product of, um, you know, they really hit the portal too, and, and obviously new coach, but new coordinators, 
both sides of the ball, but how hard is it to get a read on what Auburn will be this fall? Yeah, well, I wrote this in the book. It just feels weird placing anybody last, quote-unquote, in the SEC West because Auburn would be would be able to contend in a lot of different divisions. But, um, yeah, I got them last place. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I watched their spring game. There was a lot to, to work on still, I think, in the transition season. Uh, quarterback was wide open. Now they did get some late additions through the portal after spring. Um, but, yeah, there's some questions here. Uh, the, the, the defense loses a lot. Um, the line, both lines, uh, have question marks, which is so crucial in the SEC, as you guys know. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I like the transfer class. They finished top five in the country, but I just think, uh, you know, it's an overall transition year and we're not going to really see Hugh Freeze's program until the next year. So I'm looking at them for a breakout in 2024. Don't forget the podcast is brought to you by Game Time Sidekicks. Head on over to GameTimeSidekicks.com and put in that promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. You do that at the checkout, Shane. This is NCAA officially licensed memorabilia here. Stainless steel cups, sippy cups, dog bowls. Shane's got his right there. This is truly outstanding product and you really help out the podcast and the best part shane you're gonna love the cup you get from game time sidekicks really really helps the podcast if you want to take advantage of this and we would not be pitching game time sidekicks if we didn't believe in them ourselves so help small business they're a small business we're a small business help us all out here (laughs) gametimesidekicks.com head on over Promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. And we're also brought to you by Manscaped, Shane. 20% off and free shipping courtesy of Manscaped. So head on over, manscaped.com. Same promo code. They made it easy for you. SEC will get you 20% off and free shipping over at manscaped.com. In the show notes, there's links to both of these. And they... Shane are selling this outstanding Beard Hedger Pro, and that kit comes with shampoo, conditioner. I didn't even know you could get beard conditioner, but they got it, buddy. Oil, palm, and a travel case, all included in the Beard Hedger Pro. Head on over to manscaped.com, and don't forget that promo code SEC for 20% off and free shipping. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. 
Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code THATSEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem THATSEC for 20 bucks off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So you got Tennessee, number one in the East. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Calm down, dogs. Calm down. Georgia, the pick in the East, just like everybody. Everybody's got the Bulldogs, but... Uh, yeah, any, I don't even know how to ask this, Brett, because everybody's just got them number one and, and likely SEC champs, likely, you know, headed to the playoff. But uh, is there any weakness is probably not even the right word because there are no weaknesses really, but any slight concerns you have about the dogs? And, and again, what I'm saying this is not even to win the East, to win the SEC, but clearly the goal now in Athens is to win the national championship any question marks that you that you need to see answered before you're convinced that the dogs do it again? Well, yeah, a couple of things. I think normally when you look at a playoff team or a national champion, those teams are rated by the pros. They lose a lot of guys going early to the pros. So you look at returning starters, returning production as your potential flaw. And But when you talk Georgia, they rotate their defenders more than anybody. So the snap counts, when you look at those, they're pretty spread thin. Uh, so when you lose quote unquote starters and you have quote new starters, you know, these guys are pretty well, well versed and they're practicing against the best offense in the country and vice versa. So I don't really have a concern personnel wise. They have five stars everywhere. Basically the way I put it is it's just next year's NFL draft picks. You haven't heard of them yet, but they're the next year's pick coming up the ranks. <laughs> so my question mark for Georgia would be an offensive coordinator uh, because Todd Monk, and he got a lot of credit early on and he deserves all of it for modernizing that offense. Uh, the last three years, really elevating that. And uh, on a per play and an explosiveness metric, they were tops in the country. Um, so very impressive play calling and play design and, and scheme-wise by Monken. So you lose him to the pros, he goes to the bottom of Ravens. Um, so some questions there. Now, I know that Mike Bobo is very, very well-versed in the SEC. He actually put together some great offenses in Georgia about a decade ago, um, some really statistical giants there. But uh, still, I think the transition there at play caller and at offensive coordinator, if you need a question mark for Georgia, I think it'd be there. Let me ask uh, about Georgia because you've looked at their schedule and everybody's made fun of them Georgia Bulldogs and how easy the run is. If I remove the Tennessee Volunteers because obviously that's going to be their biggest their biggest obstacle, is there another team that you – I mean, that's where we're at. Is Georgia – can Georgia lose a game this year during the regular season? Is there one game maybe you're looking at like, eh, if the stars lined up, we may have us a ball game here? Well, I don't, I don't see anything. And, and the thing is, a lot of those games you consider <laughs> to be potential trap teams, they're all yeah. at home this year. Um, you know, I have Kentucky third in the East, yeah. and I have Missouri high. Uh, Ole Miss we talked about, but all three of them are right there in Georgia between the hedges. So the road trip at Auburn, I, I mean, we had them last in the West. Road trip to Vandy, it's going to be all red in there anyway. Um, and then Georgia Tech going through a coaching transition. So, And then with Florida, too, it being a neutral site, I, I have them pretty low this year relatively for Florida standards. Yeah, I just don't see any threat. So, I mean, if anything, maybe – Crown uh, them. Just crown yeah, them. Yeah, maybe uh, one position <laughs> – or one unit will step up like they did last year, like Missouri's defense or Ole Miss's offense. You know, maybe one side of the ball can rise up and, and get them, but complete team-wise, I think Georgia is going to coast to that uh, to that Tennessee game, ten and zero. 
Well, you've already kind of previewed yeah. Tennessee, Brett, but let me ask you, which game do you think uh, is more believable that the Vols win next fall? On the road at Alabama, the decaying dynasty, or at home against Georgia, two-time national champion here? Which one do you think is the most realistic to happen, even though you're probably uh, not going on that limb to, to – you're not predicting it. You're just saying which one, I guess, would shock you less. Yeah, well, I got to say, I was blown away by Tennessee's home field advantage last last year in that Alabama game. I think it was the game of the season, not just for Vols fans or SEC people, but that was the most college football. It was just, it was quintessential college football, that game. It was incredible. The game itself, then the celebration was so pure. It reminded me of the old days where the, uh, you know, the Gold Coast get ripped down and thrown in the lake. So, I mean, that was just an incredible college <laughs> football moment. And, you know, it's been lacking recently. It's been a lot of chalk recently, and it's all been about the playoff structure or the conference realignment. So to see that game, just pure college football was special. So, so all that to say, um, I'm going to throw out the, the home field card here. I'm going to pick the Alabama road trip. I think that mm. Alabama's got a lot more question marks than Georgia. Um, and you're still catching Bama midseason compared to uh, Georgia will be a well-oiled machine there in late November. Um, so I think out of the two, I think that the, the Alabama game is more likely. Uh, and you wonder why this is the only book I read every year, Mike. Because <laughs> a man knows football. All right, so you got Kentucky, number three. We love Kentucky, too. Uh, why do you project a bounce-back season in Lexington uh, this season? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, number one, an offensive coordinator, they get Liam Cohen back. And for those unfamiliar, he, he was great for them in 2021 um, and then went to the pros for a year and everything fell apart. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's a one-to-one ratio there. He's the only reason, but there's definitely a, a trend there. So he's back. I think he's going to help fix the offensive line, which had an uncharacteristically poor season last year. I mean, for the years I've been doing pick-six previews, especially the last five or six, They've been known for that big blue wall, that offensive line, and that went away last year. And you saw them become very one-dimensional, mm-hmm. really struggled. So I think they, they fixed the offensive line. They fixed the offensive coordinator spot. They made a great addition with Devin Leary through the portal. He was my all-transfer SEC quarterback. Um, you know, they replaced Chris Rodriguez's uh, d- departure there, too. Um, so, And then you know what you're getting with the defense, too. It's always above average. Uh, Coach White does a nice job over there. So I think it's just a very solid team. And, um, you know, enough to place third in the East. Another thing I like, too, they got a top 15 recruiting hall and a top 15 transfer hall, which uh, if you follow recruiting, Kentucky doesn't usually do that. So they're, they're doing a great job there in player acquisition, and I think you're going to see it in the, in the win column this year. Now, you got Florida a lot higher, too, than a lot of people, but uh, you also got Missouri, both of them tied for fourth. How can you have a tie here? Bray, explain yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that South Carolina is usually the pick here for third or fourth. Mm-hmm. I have Carolina down at six. Um, I, I really like more what Missouri and Florida have coming back uh, for 2023. Uh, the tie is because, yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't decide between fourth or fifth here. I have them both ahead of Carolina, though. That was really the, the genesis of it. So, but first with Missouri, and this is really a play on their defense. I, I really like Coach Baker. I had a chance to talk with him a couple off seasons ago. Um, his, his defense is very aggressive. And I know a lot of coaches say that, but you look at his, uh, his stat profile every year, whether it's Missouri, when he was at Miami, they're top 10 in negative play rate. They're, they're causing havoc behind the line of scrimmage, sacks, tackles for loss, picks. Um, and the key is 
top 10 in returning production on defense. That whole thing is back from last year, one of the best in the country. You saw what they did to Georgia. I know they didn't win the game, but they definitely held them in check for three-plus quarters. So Missouri, it's really a play on their defense, and I think some five stars on offense. You're starting to see that great recruiting by Drinkwitz come to fruition. Um, and I think they'll have a healthier quarterback. It came out that the QB had a uh, – I think that he was a little bit banged off. There was, he lost some zip on the ball. So I think overall they're, they're, they're poised for a breakthrough season. Everyone's got him sixth. I've got him fourth. How about them Gators, though? I mean, you're, you're a lot higher on them than most. Yeah, I, I don't know if it is higher than most, uh, I guess. I mean, I think a lot might have them sixth or fifth. Uh, I've got them there tied fourth. Um, I don't see them contending for anything uh, of importance this year. I don't think they're going to contend for the East or, or challenge Georgia or anything. But I think they get back to a bowl. I mean, that, that should be the, the requirement here in a second year under Billy Napier. Uh, almost the storyline within the story is how they're recruiting. Because I think that for Florida to really reach its potential as a program, reach its ceiling as a program, They've got to be a top-five national recruiter year in and year out, just given their geography, who they're going up against in the conference, in the division. So the, the storyline really is actually off-field for me. I want to see if they can really sign this top-five class. They're trending well, but um, you know they're going to need a bowl season to keep that momentum going. If they, if they miss bowl season again, it's going to be tough. Mm. So I know that doesn't really answer the question for 2023, but um, the main question mark is their offensive line. They lose so much off of that unit. Um, and then, you know, the defense had a lot of flaws too. So I don't see them contending this year. Now this next team, I'm going to phrase it this way to you, Brett. What did Shane Bieber do to you? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, but, man. But... Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Coach Beamer was gracious with his time. I got to interview him. I think he's a great guy. And, you know, it's, I, I like the importance he's putting on special teams. He's carrying forward the Beamer ball mantra from his dad. And you see that, again, something that coaches talk about, he's actually doing it with his team, and uh, they, they lead the country in block kicks and punts the last two years, 10 of them. That's enough to flip a lot of these one-score games their way. But, uh, yeah, when you break down the season, um, transfer portal was pretty rough on them. Um, you know, their entire running back room, their tight end rooms, they're all complete changes. Um, and their defensive line, some of their best players are gone off of that unit. So there's a lot of question marks here. I'm surprised that folks are putting them in the top 25 and, it's something personal. I think that long-term, I think that Carolina's on a great trajectory. I just don't think this is the break, breakthrough season. Mm. Um, and it's not even a play on Rattler. I think Rattler's a solid SEC quarterback. You saw the potential there in November and December, and they really lit it up on the scoreboard once they simplified things and maybe took the play calling out of Satterfield's hands. But um, So, yeah, it's, just, it's a tough division. I, w- I want to throw this in there, too. Uh, four SEC East teams, they all finished in a row last year, my game grader, 40th, 41, 42, 43, and that being Carolina, Florida, Missouri, and Kentucky. So it's razor thin here in this middle tier of the East. So last – oh, go ahead. Can I ask you about – can you can you tell me a little bit more about that game grader? Because, you know, you mentioned Beamer. Uh, we're going to talk about Lee here in a second, Sam Pittman. You know, these are some of these coaches that, you know, may not be where – the program may not be where you want it to be, but you can see that there is success behind them. Can you kind of explain the listeners of uh, the game grader again? Yeah. Especially, especially on coaches. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you watch all these games on Saturday, you see scores come across on the ticker. You might see 21 to seven or whatever. You don't really know what happened in that game. So I like to go a little bit deeper. I take all the key stats from the game. Um, and then also I like to adjust it for the opponent's strength because, 
you know, beating Alabama 50 nothing is a lot different than beating Vanderbilt 50 nothing or, or beating Akron or, uh, or, you know, or Georgia State or whatever. So opponent adjusted, uh, a lot of the key metrics I like to use, and it really gets me a number on these teams. That way I can compare within the division, within the conference, and nationally. Um, so that's the game grader formula. Now, it might be a hidden stat that's missing for South Carolina because I don't account for any kind of blocked punts or special teams. So um, that might be where they sneak up on me. But, um, you know, forecasting forward, I don't see all that repeating year to year. And you bring up a great point with the game grader. I have a page in the book where I do coach carousel grades. And it's not the kind of coach carousel grades that you see online where they're minutes after the guy is hired and they're grading him a B plus or a C. We have no idea how that how that hire is going right. to turn out until a couple of years. So what I do, I wait two, three years. I look back on the performance using my formulas um, and not just the raw number, but what they how he performed to what he inherited. You know, I look at the four years before the guy was hired mm-hmm. compared to the years that he's been there. So uh, you brought up good names there. Pittman is number one in the country from that 2020 carousel. Coach Heifel is number one from the 2021 carousel. So these guys inherited some tough, tough yeah. programs or tough positions. And they're doing really well with it. Well, so the last team we've yet to talk about Vanderbilt, and I, I heard this uh, just this week, Brett, down there in in training camp. Vanderbilt apparently they're they hit more than any team in the SEC. So you're getting them ready, and the person told me they have upgraded at every single per, uh, position on offense aside from running back. So there's there's confidence that Vanderbilt is continuing to progress. Uh, they're they're not a joke anymore. I realize you got them seventh, so so do I. So I'm right there with you. But uh, are you at least seeing the improvements to where you can you can? There's a glimmer of hope that Clark Lee is on the right track here in Nashville. Oh yeah, he's definitely on the right track, and it's not just me saying it here. I mean, look at their win losses last year. Uh, they went in and beat Florida and Kentucky teams. They they yeah you know, they really struggle with over the years, especially Florida. That's a massive win. That's the proof of concept win that he was looking for. Um, and then you see it off the field, too. I mean, they've been for years trying to get that big financial commitment to upgrade the facilities, which are, you know, they're decades behind in all those categories. But he finally got that deal done. And I think that that's a, a testament to, to, to him and um, an alum himself, a guy that loves this program, loves this campus, his community. So uh, you see that reflected there. I mean, I, you know, I've watched some practice clips. You see their end zone is completely under construction. It won't be ready uh, in, in 10 days yeah. for kickoff, but that's just, it's, it's that money going to work. It's that proof of concept already being built literally in front of our eyes here. But yeah, roster wise, I like it too. Uh, they're top 40 in returning production on offense. Uh, that whole trio is back with Shepard, McGowan, and Skinner. Shepard places on my all SEC team. I think he's great at receiver. Um, yeah, you lose the running back, but the offense pretty much returns intact. It's whether Clark Lee's defense can make some gains. He's a defensive guy himself. I think it gets fixed. But um, the last note I'll say is, yeah, I have them seventh in the East and last in the conference. But out of the, you know, this is, you know, baby steps, right? But they're out of the national top ten, uh, bottom ten, I should say. I mean, almost every year I've done pick six previews. You pencil them towards the bottom of power five. Uh, this year climbing up to 57th out of 69. They're out of that bottom ten, uh, and the trajectory is definitely up. Yeah, a friend of the show, Chris Lee, not related, said Vanderbilt's capacity will be at 28,500 this year. So pretty low, but at least 
there's some progress going around. And that's one thing that, that Vanderbilt's really struggled at doing is letting that money go a little bit. So it's good to see some, some progress there in Nashville. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you about Texas and Oklahoma real quick. Um, you know, not that our audience really cares how they're doing in the Big 12 or anything, but I'm curious to get your thoughts, Brett, on, on uh, you know, how prepared you think they are for life in the SEC. And I realize we're, we're a year away, but are they going in the right direction? Are you part of this Texas hype train? Is Brett Venables even going to survive to coach in the SEC? What, what's your thoughts on all that? <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, there's a lot there. I think that, um, that these are the two dominoes that started this big wave of realignment, I think. But at least those made geographical sense. There's somewhat of a border there with the, the SEC footprint. Texas, I guess you consider is in it with A&M there. Um, so I think you're, you're adding two of the you know, most historic brands in college football. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're considered blue bloods by any metric you look at. They bring in top ten recruiting classes every year now, both of them. Um, so, and they have some of the most passionate fan bases in the country, especially Oklahoma. Uh, just watch their spring game, see them online, see them uh, donating. I mean, they're, they're a powerhouse. So um, I think you're getting two of the strongest brands in the game. Now, uh, on the field this year, so it might look like chalk, but I have them both playing in the conference title game. I have them on their farewell tours meeting in Dallas for the Big 12 title game. Uh, when, you re- when you break it down position by position, I, I really like Texas this year even when you cover up the name, because I'm not really a brands guy, you know, I don't really buy into some of the the hype trains that you see cover up their name and just look at the roster and their game grader from last year, all their advanced stats. This is a really strong team. So um, while the rest of the conference loses personnel and coaching changes, I think Texas um, on their farewell tour wins the thing. So I have them 11th nationally winning the conference. Let's, let's let's roll with that for one more second, man. If if these guys were in the SEC this year, and just to make it easy, Texas was in the West, Oklahoma's in the East. Where would you where would you have them in your rankings? You think? Well, yeah, okay. So if you put Texas in the West, I would have them behind Bama. I have them behind LSU. I think they'd be in a battle there at that next year with the uh, A and M, Old Miss, Mississippi State. I think that'd be a good grouping, but definitely behind Alabama and LSU. So we'll call it third or fourth there, tied with A and M. Uh, Oklahoma in the East. I have them obviously behind Georgia, my national title pick. Um, probably right there with Tennessee. I'd probably edge. I'd go Tennessee right now, but I'd have Oklahoma third uh-huh. for sure. Then there's a big drop off after that. Okay. Hmm. All right. So, are you of the opinion that Texas, that week two game in Tuscaloosa, that they can make it a fourth quarter ball game, or or do you think the home field and Alabama's uh, talent it, it will uh, prevail, and, and how close of a game do you think that is? I, I realize that's that's a little ways out, but can Texas compete in that football game this season? Well, first of all, I think they definitely compete. I think they they competed last year too against Alabama. I mean, it was a one point game, and yardage was pretty much tied. And in that game, Quinn Ewers he was throwing the ball really well, was injured, knocked out. So I think now that you have a healthy Quinn Ewers, his second year as a full time starter, all that bonus. Um, plus their firepower at receiver and tight end is really impressive. They're my national top five unit rankings at receiver and tight end. Uh, so they're going to test this Alabama secondary, a lot of new faces, a lot of question marks. I know the talent is there on paper, but this will be a lot of those Alabama players first time in the national spotlight, first big game, first nationally ranked game. So if there's ever a time to catch them, it's early on like this. So I'm not calling for Texas to win it, but I think they're definitely going to compete. 
A couple other uh, teams out of the conference. Last thing for you, Brett, really appreciate your time. But a couple other teams I wanted to ask you about real quick. Florida State, they obviously open the season against LSU and they'll play Florida to end the regular season. Uh, how how big of a threat are is Florida State in your mind to beat LSU in Orlando? Yeah, I, I have this as pretty much a toss-up. Um, I think Vegas would reflect that. I think Vegas has LSU by two points or so on the neutral site. But Florida State, uh, spoiler alert for the book, they're in my playoff bracket. And uh, the reason behind that, even throw the LSU game away, I think that they're going to go win the ACC this year. A couple reasons why. So last year was really their stat breakthrough. You look at all the stats. They were top 10 or top 20 and everything. Um, they bring it all back. Number one in the country in returning production. You see that on offense and defense. Some key decisions, uh, you know, NFL decisions from their defensive linemen. Jordan Travis, a quarterback, a dual-threat Heisman candidate. They're loaded everywhere. But really the difference between them and Clemson, because that's really the head-to-head you have there in the ACC, is that Florida State has embraced and succeeded in the transfer portal. Nor- Norvell is signing guys left and right, blue chippers, All-Americans, while-, while Clemson has really ignored the portal. So they are now thin at some key spots. So I have Florida State winning the conference, getting there 11-1 and most likely. Um, we'll see about LSU, though. I think that's going to be a- another classic, just like last year's game. But it's funny to think how far both have come since that moment. Uh, LSU went on and won the West and <laughs> are now a top-five team. And then Florida State now projected to possibly win the conference. So, um, yeah, a lot of respect for both those programs. Do you, how, how again, Florida State? I will say this: they've they've been all. I've seen them; they're all over the map. And, and Norvell is, is a guy that keeps popping up. Do you see him at Florida State three, four years, or do you you think he finds his way to maybe the SEC or, or the Big Ten or is somewhere else? Oh, I don't know. I mean. Um, if my, if my prediction clicks here, he makes the playoff, he won't be fired anytime soon, that's for sure. But I think your question is more, if he does that well, is he going to go to a, a different place? And I don't know how this new right. uh, landscape is going to look with the different revenues from the conferences. I mean, could the SEC come in and triple his contract or quadruple it in a couple of years? I don't know, because I know the ACC money-wise is falling way behind. Um, but I don't know. Florida yeah. State has enough boosters down there. I think they'll keep him around if they want him. Now, I know you've always been high on Utah. You've got them 14 in the country. They open against Florida <laughs> out at Utah. Um, you know, what are the odds that Florida can pull the upset there and beat Utah? Or, or, you know, how big of a real test will that be for Billy Napier and company? Yeah, well, I think it's a huge test. I think with, with Utah, it's one of the more physical teams out West. I know the Pac-12 has a, a moniker for, for not being the most physical conference, being more finesse, but Utah is a throwback team. I mean, they're going to they're gonna hit. Um, so I think if I answered this a few months ago, I, I think it would be heavier towards Utah. What's happened recently is a lot of injuries at quarterback for Utah in preseason camp. Uh, Cam Rising looks like he's behind on his rehab. He was projected to get back for fall camp. Mm-hmm. That, that hasn't happened yet. Um, so that's your starter. And their, their backup just got injured for the season. So they're on the number three right now, a little bit thin at the most important spot on the team. So – um, if there's an angle there for Florida to sneak in in the opener, uh, Thursday night opener there in Salt Lake City, it might be a quarterback. So we'll see. I mean, I'll pick Utah straight up. I think it's a great home field advantage. Um, for those SEC fans that haven't watched the game or uh, watched them on TV, you got to tune in and see this Rice Eccles Stadium. I mean, they're, they're fans that they sold out every game for like a decade, and um, it's still old-fashioned where they're jumping up and down. They're shaking the, the ASBN camera. So it, it's a cool experience. So tune in for that. It'll be a great way to kick off the season. 
How about number 16, Kansas State? I know they're coming off a Big 12 title, but uh, Shane has convinced me Mizzou's going to beat that ass here. <laughs> Do you think Missouri can beat Kansas State at, uh, at uh, Missouri? Yeah, well, um, you're catching Kansas State early on. It's going to be a whole new-look defense. Um, outside of their linebackers, they're very young and new on the defensive line and in the secondary. So might be Luther Burden going for some big yard as that receiver. Uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, it's, it's at Missouri, which helps. Uh, I mean, if you look at my preseason rankings, I do have Kansas State in the top 20, uh, well ahead of where I have Missouri. But uh, with home field advantage and catching a, a young defense, they have a shot. Um, and if you're looking for more mm-hmm. on that with Kansas State, what makes them strong is their offensive line. That's all back from last year. And they're really a great player developer where they don't sign top 25 classes, not even top 40 classes usually, uh, but they develop them into NFLers and into, well, they won the conference last year. So they're doing a great job over there as a staff. Now, how about number 21, North Carolina opens the season against South Carolina in Charlotte. Uh, what do you anticipate from this matchup? And and I, I realize South Carolina, you got them a little bit lower in the East, but that's more of a factor of the SEC than anything uh, is this a toss-up game in your mind? Yeah, I think it is a toss-up. I'll probably side UNC, but I preface this with, look, I like to celebrate the prediction wins. I've got the number one rating over the last 10, 5, and 3 years, but I also will own up to the misses. And uh, the UNC pick I had a couple years back, I'll never get over that one. It was <laughs> I had them winning a the conference and going further than that, and it, it just tanked. So, And I think a lot of that is still there. I don't think they're physical enough as a program. Um, their offense can get a bunch of yards, but in the red zone, they, they struggle. They struggle with offensive line push when it matters in crunch time. Um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely some flaws there. Uh, I really like the quarterback, Drake May. Uh, he's going to be a Heisman candidate. It's not favorite this year. Um, you know, last year had a great run as a freshman. But So look for a high-flying offense. I think nine starters back. They're going to put up points. But can they execute in the red zone in crunch time? And can the defense stop anybody? So, they have questions of their own, just like uh, I said that South Carolina does. So I'll call it a toss-up. I'll, I'll side with UNC slightly right now, just on the, the offense alone. Hey, we are the king <laughs> of bad takes. Trust me. I had Texas, I had A&M winning an SEC championship last year, so you want to talk about way off. Hey, my, my last question for you, Brett, is I want to ask about Virginia. We'll close with the Tennessee Vols. You know, we're hearing about how bad this team is. I mean, really, uh, how bad are they? Well, give me Tennessee minus 35 or whatever the line will be. I think that they're going to score at will. Um, you know, and, and yeah, Virginia's got their hands full. I have them third worst in all of Power 5, dead last in the ACC, uh, quarterback dead last in the conference. If you look at the ACC rankings I've got there unit-wise, UVA's at the bottom almost everywhere. Um, you know, defense slightly uh, improved, but – yeah, they're going to struggle this year big time. Music to my ears. Thank you. Before you go, Brett, can you tell everybody uh, where to find you, where to follow you, and most importantly, where to get their Pick 6 Previews magazine? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. Like I said, one of my favorite preseason stops. You guys are my go-to during the season. I'm tuning in each week. So keep up the great coverage. You know, I keep seeing you guys on TV, so keep that going. Um, yeah, and thanks for the praise, too. It's pick6previews.com, pick6previews on Twitter. On the website there, we have some sample teams, uh, some testimonials from the college game day guys uh, and others across the country. Um, and, uh, yes, we have the hard copy edition still available. It takes about a day or two to ship out. In the meantime, I send over the digital copy immediately. So you're getting both the digital and the hard copy 
Uh, we do have the standalone digital product if you're just interested in the electronic version too. So we got you covered there, pick6previews.com. Yeah, and you're not a real college football fan if you don't get the pick six previews. We would not recommend it if we didn't value it more than any other college football preview magazine. Brett, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, rest in peace to your mentions tomorrow. <laughs> hey, no, I'm looking forward to it for sure. And, uh, and good luck to you guys this season. I'll be tuning in. All right, so just we'll say thanks again, Brett, for joining the show. Always a treat to talk to him. And don't forget to go head on over to prizepicks.com, get you a preview magazine. He buttered you up good, Shane. You must have liked that one. <laughs> That's right. I've got to start. I've got to send some of these to my family now, you know? So, <laughs> hey, it, it was awesome having him on. Like, there's just, I can't. I just love being around smart people, Mike. You know, that's why I'm drawn to you, I think. And, and when you, you listen to a guy like that, it's like, man, has he got all this rope down or somewhere or something? You know, it's just unbelievable. I can't take in 14, 16 teams. You know, he's got them all. Uh, so it, it was awesome having him on. And, and one of my favorite books, I, I, I joke, but uh, it is one of the. You won't be disappointed. Give it a shot. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, well, we're never disappointed in you, brother. So I appreciate you (laughs) showing up once again. I appreciate all the cousins out there. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls. Get it. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.